We are in week two of a, a summer series on real faith, and the text is the book of the epistle of James. And I'm sure that you all remember that last week we talked that real faith endures trials, and today we're going to talk about real faith resists temptation. The text is James in chapter 1, in verses 12 through 19. So take your Bible, open to James chapter 1, verse 12, and I will, I'll teach you something about how to listen to a sermon, at least how to listen to mine. All right, here, here's, a, here's, some, here's how, how to listen to a sermon from me um, in case you're frustrated trying to take notes. Um, here, here's how you do it. Number one, there's going to be a big idea in the sermon every time. There's going to be a big idea. Sometimes we call it the big hairy idea, but you can just call it the big idea if you want to. And you should be able to write that down sometime during the sermon or at the end. And if you can't, you can like go on my Instagram or Facebook and usually I'll put it on a little yellow sticky note. And you'll see that's even there today, the big idea the main idea, the thrust of the passage. What's the big idea? So one thing you want to ask yourself is, so what's the, what's, the, what's the central truth here? What's the main thing being said? And the other pieces should serve that. What's the big idea? You could write that down. The second thing you want to ask, and you always want to ask this is, where does it say that in the Bible? Because if the big idea isn't in the Bible, the pastor's in trouble, right? It's like, that's like, whoa. What were you up there batting your gums for, saying stuff that wasn't in the Bible, right? So it's like, where does the Scripture say that? Is that what the Bible says? And where does it say that? And that should be the, maybe the second thing. What's the big idea? What's the central truth? Where does it say that in the Bible? Here's the third thing, and this is where you should do some heavy lifting, and that is, what does God want me to do about this? What does God want me to do about this? And we shouldn't have any trouble when we look in this powerfully practical book of James written by the half-brother of Jesus, the pastor, the, the senior pastor, the lead pastor guy of the church of Jerusalem. It's incredibly practical. Let's take a look at the Word of God and read James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I happen to preach from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and um, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which god has promised those who love him let no one say when he is tempted i'm being tempted by god for god cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And so today, four things, or three, and especially four, ways to resist temptation. People with real faith face and resist temptation. And today, three things, and especially four, the emphasis is on the fourth, three things, and especially four from the text, that will help you resist temptation. 
Now, the first one is this. Troubled times are going to be times of unusual temptation. And we all have trouble. And when trouble comes, first of all, expect temptation in your life. That's why verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, repeating a theme that he started earlier, when he has stood the test, when he's uh, passed the test and become approved, if you will, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised those who love him. By the way, just the text today is incredibly rich. Every word just pops with richness. And it's so it is here in verse 12. You blessed or, or spiritually blessed and happy is a person who's, who has trials and who passes the test of trials. And the, the same word is used in test and temptation throughout this. And the context tells us whether it is trouble that you're in or temptation that you're having. But in verse 12, they kind of crunch together. When you have trouble, you're going to be tempted. Be careful when trouble comes, you're going to be tempted. First thing to remember to, to resist temptation is expect temptation to come, especially when there's trouble. Here, here's, a, here's a quick tip and example for you too. And that is, be careful what you do right after someone hurts you. What, be careful what you do when someone sins against you, right? We are more likely to sin when we are sinned against. We are especially vulnerable to sin when we're sinned against. And this is a part of what verse 12 is saying. Along with the trials, the variegated, the various trials, verse 1 talks about, we're to rejoice when we're going through these troubles and we're to suffer like a good Christian and to, you know, and to grow. This is last week's message. They help us to grow. Troubles are God's south-facing window. Troubles are a good place for us to grow if we go to God. And the troubles are going to lead to temptations to respond in a wrong way. Jay Adams, a writer and pastor, has written really well about this. And he said something, he wrote something that's been really helpful to me. I want to share it with you. Here, here's what Jay Adams says there about verse 12. Trials or temptations that come during times of trials are like a wall with two doors. A, a trial that comes in your way that, that tempts you, uh, maybe to complain or, or maybe to gossip or maybe to give up or maybe just to yield to some kind of uh, you know, appetite that you have that's something you shouldn't yield to. It's like a wall with two doors. You can call one, this is mine, not Jay Adams, he didn't say it this way. You can call one the Jesus door and the other one the devil door. Which door are we going to choose? When we have trouble, we have a choice. We can go through a door, the Jesus door, the, the, the proper way of escaping temptation, to take the trial and to mine it for whatever it's worth and to resist the temptation. Or we can go through that other door and we can kind of yield and kind of give in to a baser desire. Adam says this, Jay Adams says, if you sin during a time of trial, don't blame God for it. He sent it for your good and you misused it. You misused your trial or your temptation when God allowed it to come. He said, every time a trial comes, it is a wall with two doors. 
One is written, God's way to victory, and the other is Satan's way to defeat. The fact that you opened the wrong door and stepped in is not God's fault, but it's yours. And before we go into that a little bit more deeply, let's look at the second phrase of verse 12. It's pregnant with beautiful meaning. It says, if you stand the test, it's one word in the original, you stand the test, you will receive a crown of life, or you will be crowned with life. You receive a crown of life which God has promised those who love him. Every once in a while you will hear teachers go through the scriptures and cherry pick the different crowns of scripture and say that when you get to heaven you'll get a crown called this or a crown called that or a crown called this. Maybe so, maybe so. But I don't think so. I think what the text is saying is here's what God does to those he loves, which is a euphemism for believers. Those he loves. He crowns them with life. Isn't that beautiful? He, God wants to crown you with life, and Satan wants you to die, and he wants you to die in writhing agony, and he wants you to be defeated, and he wants to discredit your God, but God, who loves you, the God you love, wants to crown you with life, and that's going to factor more as we move on through the text. So the first thing for us to remember is expect trials, especially time during times of trouble. The second thing to remember we've already alluded to, and that is take personal responsibility for your temptations. Don't blame God or other people, but take personal responsibility for your temptations because the text is going to say, where do they come from? You're right, out of your own desires. Good answer. Look at verse 13. Which God has promised to those who love him, let no one say when he's tempted, it's God's fault, right? Let no one say, I'm being tempted by God. Pastor James says, for God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. But each one is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. So this is interesting. Someone who said, and I can't, give proper attribution. I'll come back and do that someday. But someone has said, we do what we do because we want what we want. We do what we do because we want what we want. So if we want to change what we do, we need to change what we want. We want God to put godly affections within us. And through the means of grace, through the scriptures, and through prayer, and through worship, and through obedience, God changes us by giving us desires after his own heart and then we act on those desires and it brings life but what what james is saying here is don't blame other people he actually doesn't say that it's implying that but he's saying don't blame god when you're tempted because the temptation comes from inordinate desires that you have or it could be for desires for things that are good in the wrong amount or at the wrong time or in the wrong place right so understand this this is super practical and it's helpful you, number one, you're going, I'm a real Christian, and I'm going to be tempted. And I'm especially going to be tempted when trouble comes, and it seems like I'm always in trouble. So we want to be good at resisting temptation. Second thing is, take personal responsibility. It comes out of your own desires. It doesn't come from God. God is your friend. He's helping you. And there you have that in, in, in verse 13 and, and verse 14. Now, here's the third thing, and I want to remind you, in case you're all excited, the first three points are short, and the fourth point is really long, just so you know. Yeah, I want to get you too excited here. Number three, take temptation seriously. Take temptation seriously. Another way to say this is temptation is a life and death kind of a thing. Here's what we tend to think. Here's me, okay? I'm, one of the things I, I'm, I'm tempted to do every day is eat more stuff than I ought to eat. 
I'm that guy that like go, like yesterday there was a dinner here. Ruth Morris went to be with the Lord and the ladies of the church did what the ladies of the church do. They put a nice meal on for the family and the pastor always gets in on that. And down at the end of the table were every imaginable kind of pie. We're talking peach, we're talking Boston cream, we're talking apple. Like they were like, the ladies were like, which one do you want? I'm like, all of them. I'm, a, I'm, the, I'm, a, I'm the ex officio member of all boards and committees here. I, I, that entitles me to all the pie that I want. I mean, after all, they're going to say, did you enjoy the pie? And you don't want to let those church ladies down. It's the last thing you want to do. So I'm tempted, right? And I'm kind of joking about it. Because we, do, we think it's kind of funny. I'll have some Cheez-Its. Maybe, oh, I don't know. I've worked hard today. Maybe a third of a box. And they're not good for you at all. What we don't see is when they, you know, like, they, you have diabetes and they, they, they take your leg off. <laughs> I'm not picking on the church lady's pie. I'm just saying you need to eat that stuff in moderation, right? And we tend to go, oh, it's a little thing. No, well, no, no, it's, a lot of, it's not a little thing because what the Bible says is if you get in the habit of yielding to your desires and not keeping your desires in check by God, then it's going to kill you someday. It's going to bring death. Death to your marriage, death to your walk with the Lord, physical death. Here's how the Bible says it. Here's just how Pastor James says it, verse 15. Then desire when it's conceived. So we're lured by our own desires. Desire when it has opportunity meets with opportunity and you have conception, right? And it gives birth to sin and sin grows up and it's a killer, right? It's just what the Bible says. Verse 15, I'm going to read without interrupting the Bible. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. This is what we want to remember. I read a book last summer. We're down in Texas, and, and there was a swimming pool where our, our son and daughter-in-law lived. And it was, like, incredibly hot. It was awesome, just hot. So we'd go out in the swimming pool, and there was this cabana. You would cool off in the swimming pool, and then you'd scurry over under the cabana where there was shade, and I had a book on my Kindle, and I remember scurrying back and forth from the pool to the cabana, reading this horrifying book on temptation. <laughs> and the author was talking about a Hebrew word, which means that's the word that's translated in the Old Testament, at the last, or in the end. And the author was saying, in the book is very powerful, he was saying that what we ought to do when we face temptation is think it through to the end. It's the Old Testament says, and of course James obviously knew this well, and he's, he's inferring the same thing, and that is it may look good, but, it, it, but in the end, when you think it through to the end, if it's sin, it's going to lead to death. It's going to kill you, or it's going to kill people, or it's going to bring death to things. And so instead of like treating sin lightly, like temptation is sort of a humorous thing, it should horrify us. We should think it through to the end. How do we resist temptation? Expect it, number one. Don't blame God for it, number two. Number three, think it through to the end, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring death. Let me say this in a positive way, and this is where it's going to go in verse 17. And that is, God has a different plan for you than death. What does he want to do? He's the father of lights, and he wants to crown you with life. He wants to crown you with life. He wants everything you touch to come to life. He wants you to share life with other people. He wants you to enjoy life. He wants you to understand life. He wants you to have eternal life. It's what he's like. 
I love that. That's what this text says. And that's why when we get to this, when I said three things, and especially four, I think the heart of how to resist temptation is embedded in verses 16 and 17, 18 and 19. Don't be deceived, my beloved brother. In other words, don't take the wrong door. Don't foolishly take the bait. You know, you know when, and, and let me say this, you know, when we don't govern our desires and bring our desires in line with what God's desires are, it's a little bit like we're dousing ourselves with gasoline and hoping that no one strikes a match of opportunity, right? And then someday what happens is once our desires, which are like saturated with volatile fuel, meet a, a spark of opportunity, there's going to be an explosion and things are going to die. And so we may not see that, you know, we may not see that in a man that, you know, is kind of flirting at the water cooler and he likes the attention of that other man's wife at the water cooler and he finds himself going to the water cooler more often than he really needs to. He's just dousing himself in gasoline. And if she, if she reciprocates his affections, there's going to be a sad explosion and people are going to get hurt, right? And, and we've all seen it happen. We've all had it happen to us to some degree. So the fourth thing here is this, in the, in the positive way of saying, don't be deceived, because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the one who made the sun, the stars, the moons, right? The father of the lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's never going to change, bait and switch us, pull away his good gifts and give us bad gifts. You can always count on the one who made the sun, the one who made the sun, the one who made the suns, the one who made the stars, the one who made the moons, to flow into our life good gifts all the time for us to take. And the heart of resisting temptation is simply indulging in the good things that God has already provided for us. That was the big idea right there. The heart of resisting temptation is faithfully indulging in the good gifts that God has already given to us. It's like a small slice of pie and a large helping of watermelon. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. This is the heart of what I want you to see this morning. I think this is the heart of what James, who is so intimately connected with Jesus, so filled with the Holy Spirit, such a good pastor, wanted us to know that with a trembling hand, I believe, he wrote it into the Bible. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's verse 19. Of his own will, God made up his mind one day, I I'm going to give life to little Kenny Pierpont. He's a jerk, but he's my jerk. I'm going to give him life. God acted upon me. And I responded in faith by God's grace as a little boy and began to follow Jesus and walk with him. And he's been pouring good gifts into my life all my life. How about, can I get a, can I get a testimony on that? Can I get a witness? Can I get an amen? Come on, y'all, Baptist people. Amen. Yeah. Just, you know, once or twice we can do that. We don't get all weird about it, but yeah. Like, me too. That's right. Preach it. Yeah. Isn't that true, though? Isn't that true? Has he been good to you? Say he's been good to me. Yeah. Yeah, he has. He has. 
That's the way he is. Notice when we back up through the text how James wants us to see this. Early in the text, he says he gives a cr- he crowns with life those who love him. There in verse 18, he says he's the father of lights and all good and perfect gifts come down from him. And there at the very end, he says, you're just the first fruits of all of his things he created. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. This is a reference to our salvation. And he, he works in regeneration through the word and brings life to us. And then we're like a little sample. This is a really lame, a weak illustration. But like when you go to Sam's Club and you're hungry, right? And they're like, they've got a sample out there of the really good stuff. It's probably not a really good illustration because I don't have like a gourmet illustration I can think of. And they go, try this. And you're like, oh, I want to buy a whole cartload of that. So I'll have it for the next 10 years. <laughs> God's going, look, look, look at this. I'm going to fill the life with living creatures full of, that are evidence of my good works. Exhibit A, little Kenny right here. He's a jerk, but he's my jerk. Yeah, there he is, little hyperactive kid. I, he's my, my child. Watch what I do. I'm going to love him. I'm going to gift him. I'm going to warn him. I'm going to chastise him sometimes. He's mine. He's just a little example of all of my creatures out there. While you're looking at God's creatures this week, think about that. You're the first fruits of all of his created things. What's James saying? He's good. He's good. Can we talk a little bit about how good God is? Do you think God is good? I mean, do you really think that God is good? Do you feel in your heart and in your soul that God is good? Think about that. You say yes. I, I believe you believe it. I think about that a little bit, and I, I wrote some things down. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God is eager to be good to you? Is this your default position? Do you believe God is good to other people, or do you believe God is good to you? Do you believe that God is good to, uh, like he's eager to bless others and he's sort of reluctant to bless you? Do you see God as good? Do you think God likes you? Do you think God is for you? Do you think God is on your side? He's a believer now. Do you think that? Do you feel that? God is good and he's generous. He's, he's a good father. Do you think he's eager to give you good things? Think of this. I like this. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Where, where the... Where the where the scripture says, um, if God is for us, implying God is for us. Do you think God is for you? As a, as a believer in Christ, God is for you, not against you. He's for you. He who, next verse is, he who spared not his own son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He's good. If he would give us his son, there's nothing he would withhold. That's how God, that's God's disposition toward you as a believer. He's so eager to, he's, he is for you. That's what the Bible says. He's actively for you. And that will never change if you, if you know the Lord. He, uh, uh, Stephen Charnock was a, was a great Puritan, and he wrote this big, thick book on the existence and the attributes of God. It's really beautiful. He has in it one uh, section on the goodness of God, on the goodness of God. It's 150 pages long on the goodness of God. 
Say hallelujah. So Spurgeon, Spurgeon, if you don't like my preaching, I will read Spurgeon to you. you got to like Spurgeon. Here's what Charles Spurgeon, the great English Baptist pastor, said. What attribute? He's talking here about God is going to show his glory to Moses, right? Spurgeon is preaching about God is going to show his glory to Moses. He's going to show Moses what he's like, right? And here's what Spurgeon said. What attribute is God about to show Moses? His petition is, show me thy glory, Moses says to God. Will he show him his justice? Will he show him his holiness? Will he show him his wrath? Will he show him his power? Will he break yon cedar and show him that he is almighty? Will he rend yonder mountain and show him that he can be angry and wrathful? Will he bring his sins to remembrance and show him that he is omniscient? Spurgeon says, no, no. Hear the, hear the still small voice. I will make all my goodness pass before you. When God showed Moses his glory, he showed him, he could have shown him anything, he showed him his, say it, his goodness. Yeah, I will make all my goodness pass for, before you. And then Spurgeon says, ah, the goodness of God is the glory of God. God's greatest glory is that he is good. The brightest gem in the crown of God is his goodness. The brightest gem in the crown of God is his goodness. This is the way that we resist temptation with a deep conviction that God is good and the best gifts come from him and the other stuff will kill us. I will make all my goodness pass before you. That was Spurgeon. Here's some Bible verses. Romans 2, 4, do you despise the riches and the goodness of God and forbearance and long-suffering, knowing that it's the goodness of God that does what? Leads you to repentance. I love Psalm 145, Lord, satisfy me early with your mercy and with yourself satisfy. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. You open your hand, he says in Psalm 195, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. That's how good you are. The Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He says in Psalm 84 and verse 11, the Bible says in Psalm 34, 10, young lions suffer in want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. You know what? And then, so, uh, this is lovely, Acts 14. He didn't leave us without a witness. He did good. By giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons. And he satisfies our hearts with food and with gladness. This is our God. Amen. He, Psalm 65. He continually crowns the year with his goodness. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who trusts him. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Nahum verse one and ver chapter 1 verse 6 uh, says, you, the Lord is good. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. Is God good? Yes, he's good. Can you trust him? Yes, you can trust him. Are his gifts all good? Yes, they are. Why do we resist temptation? Because God has something better for us. That's why. Because the good gifts come from God. So I'm in Wendy's one day. Years ago when all eight kids were at home, I'm at Wendy's. I'm like, what do you guys want? Kids are like, yeah, blah, blah. they're all telling me different things. They didn't actually talk like that. They're like, you know, they're like, I'm like, okay, never mind. Go up there and order yourself. I'll pay, which is a dangerous thing to do. And so I'm like, order off the dollar menu. Everybody gets three items, you know. Beyond that, you're on your own. Kids line up at Wendy's. True story, right? We're up in Nuevo. 
And, and I stood in the back of the line, and, and I had Lois's order, my order, and all the kids, one at a time, they go up, you know, I'll take junior bacon cheeseburger, small fry, blah, 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 you know. Next kid, next kid, next kid, next kid. Eight kids. I order. The girl who's taking the order looks up at me, and she goes, are these kids all yours? And I, I yeah. Had them myself. I said, yeah, they are. And she kind of stopped and looked up at me. And she goes, oh, wow. You must have a really good job. <laughs> I thought, well, yeah, I guess I do. And my heart was like, and I have such a good God. Those little mouths never got hungry. Never once. Never once. And I'm a jerk. Did I tell you that? But God says, oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of him. I'm going to feed all his kids. Provide for him. Pour my goodness into his life. She says, you must have a good job. I'm like, yeah, I have a good God. I do have a good God. Spurgeon also says, when others behave badly to us, it should only stir us up the more heartily to give thanks to the Lord because he is good. He's good when people are bad, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I, can I get an amen on that one? Yeah. And when we ourselves are conscious that we are far from being good, we should only the more reverently bless him that he is good. We must never tolerate an instant's unbelief as to the goodness of the Lord. Whatever else may be questioned, this is absolutely certain that Jehovah is good. His dispensations may vary, but his nature is always the same. God is good. And blessed is the man who endures temptation because in a steadfast trial, when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And don't say when you're tempted, you're being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one, but every person's tempted when he's lured away and enticed by his own desire. And desire is conceived and gives birth to sin. Sin fully grown brings death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brother. And every good gift, every perfect gift, it's from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So Bailey had this old ratty bike. Did I tell you this? This old ratty bike, it was all kind of pieced together. And he always wanted a new bike. Other kids had new bikes, but his dad was kind of frugal. And his dad pieced together this bike from here and there. It was nice, but it wasn't at all new. Bailey's dad had a habit every Saturday morning that he would take him down to the hardware store with him. And he would, his dad would go to the back of the hardware store. There was a counter back there, and he would jaw with the proprietor. And Bailey would go to the front of the store where there was an aisle where there were some things for his bike, little horns and little bells and handle grips and things like that. He would always stand and he'd look at all those things for the bike. He says to his dad one day, Dad, could I have a dollar? His dad says to him, what do you need a dollar for? He says, I want to buy handle grips for my bike. Dad says, no, 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 I'm sorry, we, we're not going to do that today. Bailey's like, oh, dad is kind of stingy. The next Saturday, it gets to be a regular routine. He goes up and looks at the 
bike things, and his dad goes back and talks to the proprietor. Bailey has an idea one week. He says, hey, Dad, do you have a job I could do for you, make a little bit of money? His dad's pretty sharp. He says, what do you need money for? It's like handle grips for my bike. Dad's like, nah, let's not do that. One, one Saturday, Bailey Smith, true story, Southern Baptist pastor from Oklahoma, one, one, one Saturday, Bailey says to, his, to himself, I'm going to ask my dad one more time, and if he doesn't give me a dollar, I, I'm just not going to talk to him anymore. That's really happened. So sure enough, they go. Dad goes back to us, the proprietor, comes out, says, Dad, can I, can I have a dollar or something I want to buy? Dad says, no. He's like, that's it. Gets in the car and looks out the window. He's not even going to talk to his dad. That was Saturday. On all day Saturday, he didn't talk to his dad. And Sunday, they got up and went to church, but he didn't talk to his dad. He just thought to himself, my dad's so stingy. If he isn't going to give me a dollar, I'm not going to talk to him. And then all of Sunday went by, and Bailey didn't talk to his dad. And then Bailey got up in the morning without talking to his dad. On Monday morning, he went to school. And that day, when he got done with school, he's walking down the street. And he looked up, and his dad was always on the porch, you know, reading the paper. But uh, on this Monday, his dad wasn't there. And the chair was empty, and he thought, well, that's kind of odd. He walked home, and he went up the steps and went in the front door, and he looked, and there was his dad down on the ground, down on one knee in the kitchen, and he was putting together a brand-new bike. And his dad looked at him. He said, Bailey, you know what I was doing, right? When I went to the hardware store every week, I was taking a little bit of my money. I had laid away a new bike because I knew you wanted a new bike, and I was paying it off. And that's why I didn't give you what you asked for. Can we just remember that the best way to resist temptation is to receive the good gifts that God has already given to us?